welcome to episode 3 of The God Learners, a podcast about gaming and reading in the mythical world of Glorantha. I am Jörg. And I'm Ludovic. Uh, and our guest this month is described as convention coordinator for UK, Europe and IT support specialist for Chaosium, but uh, he's definitely much, much more than that. He's a great source of information for shamans. Uh, he's an expert on Brax and the Wastes. He's an archivist and librarian behind the incredibly underrated and ever useful Well of Dalias. Um, he answers all your questions on the RuneQuest rules and errata online and is probably the most active Chaosium employee in the online fine communities around the interwebs. Uh, he's Mr. David Scott. Hello, David. Hello. Um, you uh, definitely need to update your... Uh, uh, job description on the Gilsium team page <laughs> or get a raise like you, you, you can tell your boss we sure I mean my job description is a little little bit different at the moment because of uh, COVID uh, we're not having any conventions of course true yes so you have to you have to do other things but once the conventions are back um, we'll be out in the world again does that mean yeah. we'll see less of you online then when the convention starts again not 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 necessarily but um for example, I'm not going to be at Essen this year. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to be doing a lot of big conventions in Europe. Um, so until that, once that kicks off, there may, may be less of me online. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, you've been super helpful online, at least for the past couple of years. Um, you're probably the person that most of the newbies encounter first uh, when they ask questions or that's important because um it stops jeff and jason and um rick and everybody else getting tied up in online stuff yeah where as you probably all realize you want them making books <laughs> yes um, and uh, jeff appear jeff if he does actually say stuff he says it all on facebook yes. uh, purely because it's just much easier for him mm -hmm. yeah uh, but anyway so uh, we actually, uh, before we go on to the news, do you want to also say, I mentioned the Well of Dalias in, uh, in my little presentation, uh, and maybe not everybody knows the Well of Dalias. Do you want to say a few words about what it is? And we'll have a link in the show notes. It's um, what glorantha.com, our previous website, became. I don't know if there's anything more to say than that. Um, it's a 20-year-old resource um, site. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's all of the ramblings, forums, postings that Chaosium put up online, specifically on that site, uh, just moved over onto a resource site. Um, ultimately, um, the, um, the glorantha.com uh, name will be repurposed for RuneQuest. And um, we had to make space for it as such. So it was moved over to there. There were also lots of problems with glorantha.com. We had some quite serious technical issues in which it was damaged and uh, we didn't recover everything that got lost. So um, it made sense just to move it all over that way and slowly get it curated uh, as more of a fan-based um, library, so as to speak. This is a this is kind of a recurring theme over the you know forty or fifty years of uh, Glorantha material that you know stuff gets lost and damaged and recovered and and all that. Yeah, I mean it's just the nat it's just the nature of writers, I think, um, yeah. and the uh, uh, technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I know for example that um, Greg lost a load of material when a flash flood went under his house. Mm -hmm and washed it down the side of a mountain or hills, hillside. 
you know yeah, you can't oh, um, you know you can't stop things like that happening yeah. and also in in companies things go wandering off people misplace things people put them in cupboards and then forget about them yeah see yeah. the stuff so anybody out there got any of greg's manuscripts or works we haven't seen yet please <laughs> contact us because it does happen yeah wow okay cool yeah um but yeah i mean the 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 well of dahlia for uh for people who might not know it is also good i find for you know reference to you know check on the runes of a god or uh to look up some information that was posted like for example you've been archiving uh some of jeff's notes from facebook onto it uh there's an index of uh you know publications uh, about uh, RuneQuest and HeroQuest and all that. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a good reference site. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for people who don't know it or want to check it out. So news. Um, I don't think we've talked much about it on the podcast yet but we do have a uh, newsletter going out every week around sunday afternoon evening american time, time. <laughs> yeah my time <laughs> <laughs> whenever i'm done with uh, all my chores of the of the weekend but yeah it's a um, newsletter that people can subscribe by email to or check out on the godlearners.com website where it's basically all the stuff we can find online that happened around Glorantha or related things like sometimes, you know, some scientific discovery or um, article about the Bronze Age or, or whatever, or just nice pictures. Um, so anything and everything. But uh, we still like to uh, discuss a few things here on air. Most of the most notable uh, things from the past month since the last episode. I think uh, uh, the most notable thing that happened is sadly the passing of uh, Steve Perrin. Uh, I discovered BRP mostly with Call of Cthulhu myself. Um, so the Steve Perrin name wasn't as prominent on the on the cover as uh, it was on the RuneQuest covers, and I came to RuneQuest only much, much, much later. But yeah, I think for me, he's the guy really who I guess practically invented, I suppose, a skill-based system. It's always been my favorite type of game system. So yeah, thank you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Steve, uh, Steve leaving us, uh, of course, wa uh, was a big hit mm -hmm. into the nether. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I came to RuneQuest and Glorantha also because of rules at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Glorantha only slowly grew on me, weirdly enough, from the board games, not from the role-playing game initially. Yeah, because I think you started playing RuneQuest in, uh, like, Mythical Iceland or something like that. Uh, well, uh, I used the Vikings box. Uh, oh, the Viking, yeah. Uh, to create my own fantasy continent, but yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, David, um, uh, it was pretty cool to see all the all the posts um, on the Chaosium blog about uh, Steve Perrin and especially the the special interview with him about the you know the early days of RuneQuest. That was mm. very interesting. And did you see the George Martin yeah. one? Yeah, he did a very good one as well because that was really the source of um, George Martin's book series on superheroes. 
than mm. Steve contributed to. That's yeah. well worth reading. And even contributed a story. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So um, on to the main topic. Uh, the main topic is personality mechanics in RuneQuest Glorantha. So people who picked up the rulebook of RuneQuest, the latest edition, will have seen that one of the uh, main additions to the game system is um, well, what I'm calling personality mechanics. So it's mainly passions. Um, so ability scores that represent uh, characters' uh, love for their family, loyalty towards their clan or towards a, a specific uh, figure, their hate of somebody else or some other faction, etc., etc. Um, the fact that runes also have some influence on your personality. So if you have a strong air rune that somewhat drives or describes um, a certain personality trait of your character. And I figured that a fair number of players coming to RuneQuest Glorenta, either from previous editions or new players who just discover RuneQuest for the first time now, may not have played in any game system that has personality uh, personality mechanics like that, like this. Um, D&D doesn't have them, Pathfinder doesn't have them, Call of Cthulhu doesn't really have them, um, Insanity is somewhat different, I would say. So statically, statistically speaking, when you look at you know the top three most played games, um, they don't have that type of mechanics, so I figured that uh, maybe we should talk about them, um, where they come from, how to use them, where they are here. And I've got two... Old guys, sorry, guys, but uh, <laughs> um, and so you are probably familiar with where it comes from, actually. Um, who wants to talk to me about Griffin Mountain? I do. I can tell you about it. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Griffin Mountain is the first um, rules, uh, first supplement that has uh, personality traits in them. Uh, they're included as part of uh, an NPC character sheet. And it's quite a big list. I, I recommend you all have a look at that, uh, just because it's in, it's interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really have any effect on the game if you don't use them. Uh, but for most people who bought Griffin Mountain, um, it was the first um, acknowledgement that they existed. And everybody I knew was like, oh, we can have this for our players. But before um, I came here today, what I thought I'd do is I'd look back and see actually where they really came from. Because oh, um, <laughs> most, most, most people don't know that they've been around since the 80s. And yeah. um, well, a, a brief history is 81, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 But before then, so um, the guy um, that's, we can credit with RuneQuest character sheets. Uh, and I always get his name wrong, so I'm going to say it. Um, I'm just going to look at it and read it. Um, oh, Sapienza? It's John, uh, John Sapienza. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, he met Greg and showed him his uh, character sheets. And they were put into RuneQuest 2. And over the years, he upgraded the character sheets from the Mark 1, I, I think, to the Mark 7. 
A lot of this appeared in uh, amateur uh, fan productions. The Wild Hunt is one of these, uh, Alarms and Excursions, all this kind of stuff. He, he kind of updated it there and then. But um, what you've got in RuneQuest is, um, in the early RuneQuest 2, is you've got a number of strands working together. You've got a guy who likes to design character sheets and tell people about them. You've got a guy who writes mechanics. Uh, and you've got a guy who's interested in developing his own world. And you can see the, the forces pulling against each other uh, in what comes out. There's also the, the other force, which is um, you can't put everything into a book. Otherwise, it'll be hundreds of pages long and, um, you know, no one will ever get through it because, frankly, most of it's quite boring and unnecessary to play. Mm -hmm. So one of the joys of RuneQuest is it is quite stripped down. But I did go back and find some notes of Greg's, uh, which are in a publication, which is a rare one as such. It's called, um, it's Unpublished RuneQuest. There were three volumes that came out in the top tiers of the uh, RuneQuest Classic Kickstarter. Right, yes. Yeah. And um, just just to taunt people, um, I'll, <laughs> I, I, will, I will see if I can get permission for you to, I'm just gonna, you got that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this was uh, one of three volumes that came in with the high tiers. Uh, and to be absolutely honest, it's, um, a lot of people complain that, you know, why don't we have access to the really cool stuff? <laughs> um, but but the problem is that most of it is uh, junk. And I'm just, <laughs> it, it, it really is just junk. And um, here is, uh, and this, sadly, you won't get permission to, to send out, but I'm going to show it to you just because I think, because we're here. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can at least then somebody in future can say no. I saw that. <laughs> it exists. <laughs> it exists. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. So we've now got. So so here we've got um, just from Greg's notes uh, about character sheets, uh, and this is what the book contains. It's just handwritten junk with yeah. people saying do this and that. And what we do have in it is um, we do have different forms of the character sheet, as you can see. I mean, it all looks familiar. Um, it's just, things are just shoved around. And uh, this is the Mark 7 by John um, Sapienza. But as you move on, we come across stuff like this. Personality factors and special interests. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Looks pretty so similar to is, page 83 in Griffin Martin. Yes, pretty similar, except that is this. So this is, I'm showing an NPC record form, which yeah. has these personality factors down at the bottom for mm. NPCs only. and to be absolutely honest, it goes into so much detail for an NPC. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's what you really want in a stat block. Um, and you don't really need to have uh, a big list of special interests like thievery, legends, and um, local politics. Yeah. You just need to have a, a, a little line. But most importantly, uh, personality factors are down one side. And they're opposites, uh, as we all know. Yeah. And it contains so, yeah, for, for people who maybe don't have Griffin Mountain uh, or don't have Pendragon, it's uh, a list basically a list of 20 ish uh, per, uh, opposed personality fa factors like uh, aggressive versus passive or stubborn versus receptive. And, and so you would have a, a score that puts that NPC or character um, somewhere along that axis of each 
uh, personality trait. So um, developing character sheets is quite important because um, the next one that's appeared has just got more space for notes. And uh, as we're all um, familiar that when people look at character sheets, it's never perfect. I don't think I've ever come across a GM who's happy with any character sheet at all. <laughs> and they always want to make their own. They always want to tweak it. Uh, you know, at the moment, people are saying, why haven't you got the runes on the bonuses so we know which one people can roll? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, you know, do you want us to make the book or do you want us to fiddle with a character sheet kind of thing? <laughs> and and the other, the other, you know, well, you know, it's only going to take five minutes. And the answer is these things don't take five minutes. You know, they can take, they can take a good chunk of time for someone to lay something out again properly. Mm-hmm. So these, um, these uh, character, uh, these characteristics were in the background from the beginning. I can pretty much see as to why they didn't make it into the rule book or the character sheets uh, until Griffin Mountain, and even later they disappeared, I would suggest it was more to do with uh, it's something that didn't fit and was cut for space. Um, As you probably realised, Greg then took the system and fully realised it uh, in Pendragon. Mm -hmm. And um, he worked with character traits quite a lot. And I would actually suggest that people interested in this, they look at the first of the Pendragon 6 designer's notes in which um, um, David shows the copies of, um, Mm. I've just forgotten the name of the book. You can insert here. (laughs) Mortarter. Yeah, Yeah. Mortarter. And uh, what was really cool, and I actually saw the book myself, um, is that throughout the entire book, he's put all of the character trait tests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's read the book and marked so and so gets a, a, a spot of honor. This is a uh, you know this versus this. Mark does that, mm-hmm. and he went through a whole book and annotated it. And out of that, the, the trait system became much much more um, mm-hmm. yeah. consolidated. And uh, and yeah, it was it was only a few years later, right? It was uh, Pendragon first edition is uh, ni- uh, 1985, so four years after Griffin Mountain. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't, you know, it was in the background and he was he was tinkering with it. Mm-hmm. And then we go through the, um, I think the next time that they appear is Worms Footnotes 14. Yeah. yeah. In which they were uh, part of the Dragon Newt system. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Newt uh, traits. Um, this is 1982. Oh, it's the same year. Oh, wow. Uh, just a year after uh, Griffin Mountain, as far as I can yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it was still there, um, and it worked really well for Dragon Newts because the big complaint with Dragon Newts is, of course, um, they act randomly. Yeah, how to play them. Yeah. <laughs> so now you can actually roll play. and make them act randomly. Now you can actually roll. But if you look at the amount of space the system takes up again, mm-hmm. and uh, where would you put it on a character sheet? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just not going to work. The, the funny um, thing I, I found is um, in, in that uh, Dragon Newt system in Worms, Worms Footnote 14 is that the system went a, even a bit farther because they also have this distinction between uh, what was it? It was in, uh, impulsive trait versus conscious. So yeah. you could be 30% impuls- impulsively aggressive versus you know 20% consciously aggressive. And I think the issue with this is that for any GM, 
with any sense, you would just look <laughs> at this and go, oh, I'll just do, I'll just do that. Um, because it, there's a level of complexity to it that um, is just too much more on a game. So um, in, basically, uh, this continues in the background uh, for quite some time. And then um, when RuneQuest became RuneQuest 3 and the whole Avalon Hill debacle and the history of that, we kind of, um, we kind of lost traits almost completely. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't surface in any of the productions. And yet again, I suspect that's more to do with time and space. Uh, Chaosium were producing, editing, laying out the Avalon Hill books and Avalon Hill were printing them. There was um, a lot going on at that time. And... Um, what people don't know is that stuff was still going on in the background. Um, Greg was working on lots of other things. And one of the big things uh, that um, was always a problem was hero quests and how to make it, how to make it work and um, how to make a system that was much more integrated with, with the way he saw things. Mm -hmm. And um, in the time that I knew him, uh, I knew Greg uh, as I met him at conventions from the 1990s. Um, was that he had a certain outlook on the way people were. So one of the things he always talked about was that uh, people are hardwired for mythology mm-hmm. uh, and the way they behave. And you can see that the character trait system was an attempt to reproduce that. And um, he pointed me to uh, you know books to read and stuff to fully understand this. Um, one of them was called um, Archind by... Marvin, somebody or other, I can I can send you a link to it, which talks about the way people are hardwired uh, to react and do things. Most people know this as the sort of flight or fight reaction, and it's very yeah. basic. Uh, okay. But there's there's many more different types of reaction. Hmm. Um, so the next thing he was working on that a lot of people didn't see was um, the epic system. Oh yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, which was um, he circulated it to. Uh, a few people to try and play it. Um, it was also called uh, at one stage Glorantha the game mm-hmm. um, when it became more finished. Uh, the idea being that you would play what became King of Dragon Pass, I can honestly say. Um, but as a game, you would you would do the settling of Dragon Pass. Okay. And, yeah. um, and to do that, um, he produced some really... Um, I, I, how can I explain? I'm just going to show you this. Okay, because once you see it, you'll just go, oh, perhaps we can get some permission to show that as well. Mm, cool. This is the uh, um, maddest character sheet uh, anybody has ever seen for Glorantha. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure um, what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a shock. And um, uh, once, we, once we'd seen it, it was kind of um, quite easy to understand. Um, there's there's particular words on there: the lover, the soldier, the magician, the lord, uh, the mystic, um, well-being, family, uh, dedicated, intimates, community, people who are distant, the army, and um, the real thing about this is that you can see that it has the core self uh, of the Orlanthi, which is in runes. Yeah. And of course, as soon as you start having runes on it, there's room for values as well. And um, this was the start of really integrating the runes uh, into the game that he struggled with. And Greg's biggest problem, I would say with this, having seen his work, is that he was a war gamer. Yeah. 
we've got pages and pages of his notes, which are literally percentage stats for crop growing, um, you know, combat, you know, combat tables, all of this kind of stuff. And so he was trying to reduce it into uh, a mechanistic form. Mm-hmm. And as we know, he failed completely until Robin Laws took over. Yeah. Um, with these particular character sheets, the runes were very important, and there were traits as well. Um, I'm just going to jump to... Here is um, a character sheet of a Sata tribesman, which, as you can see, has uh, actions which are what we can see as the character traits, things yeah. like orderly and uh, anarchic, uh, you can also start to see the um, in the divine section. You can start to see some of the passions coming through as well. Mm-hmm. Um, these were obviously in Pendragon all along, um, <clears throat> but they were still quite nascent uh, in Glorantha the game. And each culture, um, you can see, it, it was slowly developed, and I think. Um, I think the character sheets go up to the Mark 21. Well, there's the Mark 7. I can't, I can't find them all. Oh, here's the Mark 16, mm. where the character sheet becomes a portrait from landscape. <laughs> and you, you, can, you can really see how the traits were there. And there were traits for everything, basically. Yeah. So I'm going to just get rid of that. This because, is 1992. Oh, yeah, 1992. And um, I think at that point, he realized, um, I mean, he was visiting lots of European conventions at the time as well. And that's where most people got to know him. Mm-hmm. And if you heard him speak, he would talk about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we sadly don't have many recordings of him speaking about this stuff. But, um, there are a few. Hopefully, we can get permission to release them as well. But... Um, the traits never vanished. And of course, once Robin Laws got involved around 1997 and we played some of the um, Hero Wars playtests, um, you could see it was all in there again. Uh, the it's, traits it's were... almost all traits at this point. It is almost all traits. And so um, Hero Wars became Hero Quest, which had all the same traits again. Mm-hmm. And Hero Quest has now become Quest World, which has the traits in again. And once Chaosium was uh, populated by uh, Moon Design people uh, who were running uh, HeroQuest, it was natural that all that the stars were right that RuneQuest could reappear. Um, RuneQuest was up until then uh, a bit of a rights mess in which um, yeah. <laughs> Chaosium, owned, Chaosium owned the text of the rules. Moon Design owned the uh, trademark. And, you know, and, and never the twain shall meet. And before that, it was more complicated. <laughs> so RuneQuest Glorantha coming out was was quite a natural thing to happen. Uh, I'm not going to bore people with um, how that came about. You can read the designer's notes on the yeah. Chaosium website. Um, there's a page on the Well of Valia that has them all together, would you believe? Ooh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was getting annoyed referring people to them. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's important to know. The Well of Valia is... All the pages that appear are for my benefit because I'm annoyed that I can't I can't string some of the stuff together. It's like, oh, where's that? I'll put it. I'll put it on there as a list. Yeah. I encourage other people to help as well. It's a volunteer project. We've got a few great ones. There's a guy called um, Ludovic Chabant who's uh, yes. one very, of the people helping on there. Very modest. Great. Uh, very modest contributions. Uh, uh, this guy is great because he's put up loads of out of print French um, 
publications, which some people are like really like, oh, yeah. we've never yeah. seen that before. Anyway, that's a <laughs> sideline. So um, yeah, we come to the point where um, RuneQuest clearly has um, the new bits mm-hmm. that have been so prevalent and worked so well in Pendragon but people haven't realized they've actually been available for RuneQuest for many years. Mm-hmm. And the trait system merges fully with the Rune system mm-hmm. to finally produce a game in which the word Rune is in the rule system. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, 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 it took me years to understand that actually RuneQuest was a quest for the runes, but there were no rules for questing for the runes. And, I, and I'm not talking about hero quest. There's just like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Runes were. It was. It was of... for the designers. They they were questing for how to put the runes. In yeah, the yeah. <laughs> so then we arrive at the trait system uh, as we see it now, and mm-hmm. um, it it has its heritage in lots and lots of different strands, reaching back in time. So that brings us to the modern day. Yeah, actually, Yuri, did, did you? Uh, I think maybe you found a couple of other small strains. No, uh, well, uh, there was, uh, of course, uh, David Dunham's a- uh, adaptation of uh, Pendragon for Gloranta, Pendragon Pass, mm-hmm. which he published in Enclosure. And that was the first time that people actually played with trades in a cult context. Yeah. But other than that, yes, uh, David uh, perfectly wrapped up my research. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> and, and more, I mean. Yes, we... of course. Um, so yeah, so now there um, we have those uh, mechanics in RuneQuest, and um, before we actually go into using them, uh, I want to touch a bit on why they are here, not from a historical point of view. Um, I think David covered that. Uh, but from a game design point of view, because um, I've seen it a couple times, either for uh, this edition of RuneQuest or even for some other games that have some equivalent mechanics. And uh, there's always going to be some people who say like, you know, oh, I don't like those. Uh, they um, they get in the way of my playing my character. Um, I don't need... Uh, you know, rules to role-play my character and things like that. So uh, people who either think they're uh, superfluous or uh, people who think they get in the way. So what do you, like, uh, Jörg, what do you have to say about it? Yeah, uh, I took quite a, quite a long way to accept those traits for myself, but then... I found ways around it. Like, for example, if you want to play a more mutable character, well, uh, go with a water rune, mm-hmm. because that's the uh, that's how you can uh, put your mutability into a, a numerical value. Mm-hmm. If you if you want to uh, be less fixated on one position, water is the way to go. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to be mean and split. Um all the different people into all the different uh, pools of the way they approach this. So the first group, uh, first of all, um, I do, I run demos of RuneQuest Glorantha uh, in shops when we did. Um, Used to do it on a monthly basis. And um, the demos are geared up for new people, um, especially. And um, 
we used to do this at conventions as well. We'll be doing it again uh, here in the UK. We do it in the UK because this is where I'm based. Mm-hmm. So if you live in the, the London area, you'll you'll see me more. But also, um, there was a, I'm going to have a plan to move around shops in the country. So RuneQuest on tour will happen <laughs> eventually. Is there going to be a bus? Uh, yeah, well, I'd love to have a bus, yeah. <laughs> if, uh, get some sponsors in. <laughs> So um, one of the great things about sitting down at a, a convention and just running a, a game is that you can often have a game with complete and utter newbies, mm-hmm. people who are, have never played role-playing games and, as a matter of fact, can be from eight years old. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've got somebody who's new to role-playing and you plonk this in front of them, they love it. They're very, very accepting. Um, I'll talk a little bit later about one of the key points in the game of teaching how the traits work. But generally speaking, um, if you've never seen the system before, you just accept it as part of the rules. A bit like, you know, if you've never played Call of Cthulhu before, you get there and it's like, oh, there's a sanity system. Oh, that's cool. So new players, young players, uh, people new to role-playing, people new to RuneQuest, really it's never been a problem uh, in the slightest. Um, the next group are the older role players and they fall into uh, basically uh, two or three camps there is the oh cool this is really good um, I'll play with this and I've I've run games with um, uh, old people <laughs> let's call them old people <laughs> old gamers the bus, the uh, old bus gamers. stops at the retirement homes yes. yeah yeah there's a story in that as well but anyway um, <laughs> okay. but uh, uh, I, I went. Um, I was at um, the Milton Keynes Role Playing Club, and they oh, yeah. have a um, they have a concrete cow every six months. Concrete cow, yeah. two two and a half, what have you. And I played a game there with um, low, a whole a whole table apart from one person, who were all old RuneQuest fans. Mm-hmm. And um, we played the traits out and did it all, and it was just like whoa. This is really cool, you know, and they all really enjoyed themselves. Uh, one of them was Pookie, of course, who writes the reviews. Oh, yes, yeah. It was very good to get Pookie. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Matthew was uh, very keen on it, and um, a good time was had by all. We also had a, a young guy who, at the end of it, was like, "Where do I buy this? <laughs> this is this is," nice. uh, and and it's quite groundbreaking because if you come from. Um, any other role-playing game background, and I've, I've played so many other types of games, uh, we just don't have the trait system. So if you've come from Star Wars or any D20 or Ars Magica or, you know, Warhammer or whatever, this is new. And so most people are like, whoa, this is, this is excellent. We then, of course, move into the world of, I really don't like this. It wasn't in RuneQuest 2, 3, whatever you know, I'm just not going to play it, blah, blah, blah. I've got all the rules. And so what? Um, any role-playing system, you can pick and choose what you use. If you don't want to use the, the trait system, just don't use it. Um, you can complain about it to your heart's content, but it's your personal opinion. And um, people get bored after a while, to be honest. Um, frankly, you, so you, still, you, you still sell RuneQuest 2 also, so I mean... <laughs> yeah, it's just like, what's the problem? And so, so there's the, then there's the middle ground, and the middle ground uh, are older players who've come through RuneQuest 2 and 3 who are quite intrigued by the idea of it. Um, if we're lucky, they've played Pendragon, um, 
So if you've played Pendragon and you come to RuneQuest Glorantha, um, I've got a couple of players in my group who've done that. They just are just like, well, what's the problem? This is this is just Pendragon because yeah. uh, they're used to playing the traits. And in the club I'm part of, we have a lot of different Pendragon campaigns running uh, in lots of different time periods, and they all use the traits. So when these people come over to uh, RuneQuest Glorantha, they're just like, oh, okay, it's, it's the same. And once you explain it was written by the same guy, they're like, oh, this really makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, of those three groups, um, my 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 comments are: people people love it. Uh, people are ambivalent and will house rule it to make it work. And people will just play it vanilla. And you know, never the twain shall meet. And you know, I wish the best to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the trait system is not going to go away. Um, yeah. That's it, it, it's yeah. been embedded at the core of the system, yeah. and it's yeah. just not going. So, yeah. and um, I've uh, my, I, I have talked a bit online to some people who who don't like it because you know they say it you know, gets in the way of their role playing or whatever. And I'm I'm very confused by this take because to me it's like if you know that you want to role play a character in a specific way then you just model that way through the trade system and you get bonuses for it because you can roll on those passions or runes and that gives you bonuses. So it's like playing like you are used to playing, but you get bonuses for it. Uh, and if you change your mind, then I mean, the, the, it's written in the rules that if you have like you know loyalty 85% to somebody but you want to backstab them yeah you can do that it just means your loyalty is going to go all the way down because you're um, <laughs> you're acting against it but um so it's not set in stone you can you can change you know and i mean changing your values and your um uh and and your loyalty is often part of the story arc of a character so Uh, it's not like it's yeah. uh, set in stone. So yeah, I think uh, I think those those mechanics are great. I like them. Yeah, I think one of the biggest misunderstandings is that um, the rule system is fixed. Yeah, and um, what some GMs try and do, or even some players, is play with all of the rules all of the time, mm -hmm. every yeah. time. And my point is, that if you've got players who are role playing and the role-playing overlaps into an area of the rules, which is wrong, um, just ignore the rules and go with the fun. Um, we deliberately have the MGF rule, the maximum game fund rule, mm -hmm. in which if people come across a part of the system where it's going to stop, the, the rules are going to stop the fun, then you go with the fun and not the rules. So the traits, the traits for the elemental runes, for example, Play them up if you want to. Don't play them up if you want to. I would actually say that um, most characters, this is my personal opinion, don't have all of the traits associated with all of the elemental runes. Yeah. No, that's my that's my take also. And, and yeah. um, you know, for example, the death rune, I don't have the rule book in front of me, but, you know, the death rune is like being ascetic, uh, refusing uh, like a company or whatever. Like basically it, it lists like five or six to me, examples of how the rune, the death rune uh, manifests in a character, but not all of those traits manifest in a character strong with death yes. rune. So you yeah. could have, you know, 
in one guy, it could be that he just likes to be all lonely and brooding all by himself. But in another one, it could be something completely different. Um, and because otherwise, yeah, it, it, it would mean that, yeah, Glorenta only has like a limited number of uh, yeah. uh, stereotypes. And that's obviously yes. not what we want to populate a fantasy yeah. world with. So, and, and, yeah. the, and we have the best stereotype model of the Humacti ever in the TV series, The Witcher. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it brooding, dark, violent, yeah. that kind of thing. I think one of the, one of the things uh, that people uh, forget is that, yeah, there is this variety in people and the trait yeah. system is there to assist you having fun, not to tell you yeah. how to do it. Yes. Um, at times, I at mean, times it may be a little bit oversimplified. Like um, you could have both loyalty to the leader and hatred to the leader. Yeah, it's great. Sure, and um, yeah. <laughs> the the person. So this this neatly brings me on to when I run demo games, and the most important part of um, the trait system is the fact that it produces conflicts in individuals. This is the 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 real. Um, story generator uh, in, in the games is that, yeah, you can have this great thing where you have loyalty to the leader and that you hate the leader. And these two traits inside the character are their own internal demons, their own internal battle. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, that's the, the greatest um, storytelling thing. I, I would be on to the player all the time about, well, how do you feel about this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and they don't necessarily have to roll it. I mean, the, just like Pendragon, you um, you can't force a player to act on their traits unless they're above a certain value. But what you can do is you can say to the player, look, you have these two conflicts. Um, how do you feel about this? And if they role play it really well, you can give a tick in one way or a tick in the other way. Um, that the system is geared up for that. In the um, the demo game, we use the pre-generated characters. And um, the uh, the key training part in the, the game is when Vasana uh, meets... Vostor. Thank you. <laughs> in the morning here. Yeah, Vasana meets Vostor. And um, Vasana has got, um, I think, hate Lunar Empire at um, a very high uh, value. I think it's at 80 or 90. And... Um, Vostor is a lunar. Yeah. And nearly every player picks this up, or if they don't pick it up, uh, I, um, I, I push it into the game as mm -hmm. a training point. And it's important to realize here that um, hate lunar empire is not hate lunars. Um, it's, it's, it's not about the individual because we get into the whole conversation of that the soldier is just following orders. Mm -hmm. um, and and Vostor, of course, is a renegade who has left the Lunas. So Vostor's an interesting character, deliberately so, that he's he and he himself is conflicted um, in that um, he is he's loyal to the Red Emperor, mm -hmm. um, but effectively has left the uh, the lunar army because he dislikes what's going on. So mm -hmm. it's a bit like loyal, loyalty to somebody but dislikes another part, as Jörg was saying. Yeah. So um, I bring up Vasana versus Vostor really early on, and we end up <clears throat> with a roll-off. I normally get the, the players to say what their point of view is. 
and then we have an opposed uh, role. And there's the usual three outcomes. Um, the first outcome is one of them gets a success. If Vokstor gets a success, he usually defends on his honour. He convinces Vasana that he's an honourable person, and Vasana just goes, yeah, okay, I, I understand that. I, I, mm -hmm. I take And um, Vostor often uh, takes an oath, uh, which really annoys the player of Vasana, by the way, um, <laughs> because it, it, it has happened that um, some of the players have taken loyalty Vasana. Mm. You can take a you can take a loyalty trait at any time. Um, and so if um Vasana wins, she really distrusts Vostor, which really makes a fantastic game because uh, the game <laughs> is effectively a, a jewelry heist from a temple, oh, yeah, a lunar yeah. temple. Yeah. And um you've got this whole thing where um Vostor is clearly an inside agent, you know, a spy uh, who's <laughs> yeah. going to turn them in. And, and in, in many of the games where this has happened, um, they've had a fight or Vasana has actually killed Vostor, Ooh, called wow. him out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in a few cases, uh, there was a great one where Vasana left Vostor to die um, because she didn't trust him. And it was completely okay to do that. Yeah. Uh, at the other extreme... Um, you know, if one, if, if one loses, uh, the, same, the same things apply. Um, it, it's the opposite way around, of course. Uh, and then the real middle ground is when you get this draw, this uh, uh, same success where nothing changes. And this is quite important because a lot of people have trouble interpreting how this actually works. And with the Vasana and Vostor standoff, what they're doing is they're just sizing each other up. Mm -hmm. So Vasana has these this thing that, you know, this guy is a lunar and um, I, I don't really trust him, but he hasn't done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And Vostor's going, well, you know, Vasana's really arsy and uh, I don't really trust her, but she's not yeah. done anything bad. Yeah. And so the game goes on. And then the ultimate thing is that because you can't do an automatic reroll. So in the rules, there is a way to do uh, a reroll almost immediately, but it's at minus 25%. Mm -hmm. And I've never had a player reroll a passion mm -hmm. at minus 25% because they know they're going to lose. You know, it's just like, I'm just going to lose this argument. And you can't roll again normally until the situation changes. And so what normally happens is they go off and do an adventure and Vostor proves himself Mm -hmm. which um, means that Vasana has to accept that he's okay. <laughs> so most players, you don't even have to do the dice roll because you end up with a part where, you know, at the, at the end of the game, you say, you know, how did so-and-so do? And um, so, oh, yeah, Vostor was really cool when he killed X or, or ran in and, and did that. And then the player with Vasana goes, oh, oh I, uh, I've accepted Vostor. Yeah. So we don't need to do the re-roll. Mm -hmm. At the, at the um, other extreme where I've had it on in one or two times, I mean, I've run this game about 40 times. Mm. Um, we've had, we've had a, a couple of players who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the roll because I've still, you know, Vostor did this and this, didn't obey this order. And of course, the, the danger there is that she fails the roll and Vostor succeeds and has to accept Vostor. So I'd much rather have it in a, a role-playing method that produces results that mimic the game than boil down to the dice. It's an auto-success normally. 
a lot of people ignore those rules. It's important to have all of the traits of your players to hand, Mm -hmm. especially those that are over 80%, because Mm -hmm. then you can just mess with them. Yes. Uh, It's interesting because one of the things that I think people often have trouble with, with the traits, is how to interpret them. So, for example, you know, you have hate Lunar Empire 90%. It feels to me like there are some people who go like, oh, I got it at 90%. It means I want to kill any lunar I see. And maybe you have a different interpretation, but the way I interpret it is more a likelihood of uh, of which way your actions are going to go, but not about their intensity. So if you want it to be like as a player, if you want to be a, you know, very hateful, you know, lunars killed my, uh, my dog and, uh, I'll, I'll get them all, then that can be it. But if it's just a, nah, I just don't like lunars, you know, I'm, I have an in and I'll spit on all their drinks. It means like 90% of the time you spit on the drinks of, of, of any lunar who comes in. So it can be as, you know, petty or as, grave as as you want really um Hmm. and it's more about the the likelihood and the same thing also is how to interpret what is the the other side like uh again if you have hate lunar empire at um 90 to me it doesn't mean that 10 percent of the time you are doing something good for the lunars to me it means like 10 percent of the time the the fact that that npc is from the lunar empire doesn't impact your decision you're you you are deciding to act a certain way for other reasons uh and you can see it with loyalties for example you know uh leica is probably surrounded by bodyguards who have like you know loyalty to leica at 80 percent i doubt that she has bodyguards who 20 percent of the time act against her uh no it's just like 20 percent of the time they act on other other reasons so the, the easiest way to to do that sort of thing is that um with the with the eighty twenty split with Laker is if an assassin appears, mm-hmm. there's an eighty percent chance they'll put themselves in the way of yeah. the assassin. Yes, yeah. it's it's a flight or fight. Um, an example came up in one of my games where um, a Humacti initiate had a duel with a Yanafal Tarnils initiate. Mm-hmm. All part of the game, they were getting a bit shirty with each other. Uh, it was an NPC, <laughs> and um, the player of the Humacti said, I'm going to use my hate lunar empire as a passion. And I said, no, because that's an individual. You're doing this under an honorable duel. However, have they been in battle against each other? You know, a humanity regiment against the lunar empire? Yet, yeah, sure, they can use that trait. Yeah. That, that's that's the difference. It doesn't necessarily work on individuals. Uh, you know, if, if if you're facing the uh, the lunar army and there's chaos, the bats flying over and all the rest of it, then sure, that's the lunar empire. But the lunar empire is not necessarily the individual, um, and that's um, that's quite important. We have the same um, issue with hate chaos. Yeah. Um, and storm balls. In that everybody, there's a, there's this belief that storm balls hate all lunars because of their chaos Mm -hmm. Uh, except we know it's widely known that they never detect of chaos because they're not chaotic so storm balls don't hate all lunars they just know that there's a propensity for the occasional one 
to be have chaos magic, and they are the danger. Um, you know, other, otherwise we end up with some situations in games where the storm balls are eff- effectively, you know, genocidal maniacs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, well, are. they are. <laughs> yeah. They are. Well, well, they are when it comes to actual chaos. Yes. Um, as opposed to, um, I don't know necessarily that. Um, the discussion groups on the internet are quite problematic in some cases because um, the internet, no, the internet isn't. Yeah, yeah, isn't, uh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> fine, um, and it reflects the way individuals see it. And you often get people saying, "Oh, this is how it really is," and um, the the point is that it's not reflected in the game world at all. There's this: um, if the storm balls killed every lunar they came up against, there'd be no storm balls, and actually a lot more chaos. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the, the the storm yeah. balls of people in Glorantha don't sit and philosophize about what is the enemy and what isn't. It's much more empiric. That man has a tentacle sticking out of his head and a few <laughs> extra arms. Well, he's let's see if he's chaos. Yeah. As opposed to uh, those women and children over there, they're lunars. We should go and murder them. Yeah, I think everybody in Lorenza, by definition, is, is an individual with their own idiosyncrasies and uh, their own values and all that. And so, for example, um, in my game, the players are um, part of the alone confederation of tribes. And we're playing like way back in the um, uh, 1610s and, and so on. And uh, Harvard Iron Fist, light son of Yelmalio in all the chore, just uh, you know, came over, um, pillaged alone, killed a whole bunch of people, uh, and then ran away. But there are still uh, Yelmalio uh, cults and temples in alone, and 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 Yelmalio cultists in in those tribes. And so there is this uh, thing where my players were like, "Are we okay with those?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, you hate Harvard Iron Fist and his buddies." Um, that has nothing to do with the fact that he's a Yelmalu cultist. You just hate him because he's a big bully who just killed half of your family. Mm, yeah, definitely. There's, this also leads to the other thing about when people are playing. Um, if if you are playing um, a pre-1625 game in Dragon Pass, the, the landscape of... Um, traits and stuff is quite different because it's effectively an occupying force and you're playing an underground war to kick out the occupiers who've been there for you know nearly 25 years and um it, it, it's a different feel whereas in runequest um Lorantha, the lunars have gone already um the, the story is, of course, that they do make a little bit of a comeback um at the battle of the queens and history moves on but um, the definition of who's who is actually much broader. Um, on Facebook, Jeff posted some of the population figures for Boldhome and some of the other cities. And there are hundreds of, uh, of seven mothers worshippers left behind. And um, they're not killed. And people are like, why aren't they killed? And the answer is because they're your family members who've just joined a, a different church, so as to speak. You know, And in the real world, we have we have this kind of um, similar thing happening where family members join different religious organizations against the will of their family and either disown them completely or just carry on as though nothing had changed. 
Um, and so this this reflects the real world as well. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think in my uh, in my Laurent, uh, those people would still have a slightly harder time, I think, than in oh, yeah, what I understand from yeah. Jeff. Because, yeah, I, I think there would be a lot of disowning and, and a lot of, like, yeah, we don't sure. want to talk to to cousin yeah. so-and-so because he's, uh, he's a seven mother in the shit. So I think they would still have a hard time, uh, potentially also with, you know, the rest of the population of Bolt Home fighting over whether they should destroy the Seven Temple Shrine or or uh, prevent them from worshipping the same way they got mm. prevented from worshipping yeah. Orland under uh, Lunar Occupation. So I think there yeah. would be still like quite a lot of uh, internal strife. Uh, but yeah, they I don't imagine oh, yeah, they would get killed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's much more family politics rather than yeah. city politics. Um, the, the reason being that um, the rules of war and the humacti police this. You're not allowed to kill innocent women, children, farmers, even if they worship a different religion. And um, the storm bulls find that they don't still don't detect chaotic. You know, it's it's. Um, but they may they may eventually have their temples driven out. Uh, they may have to set up their own. They may end up going to you know towards the empire. There's there's all kinds of story things to go there. But yeah, yeah they're not killed. No, in the end, it's all a very long and unsatisfying Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pro- probably. I, I don't know. Um, so should we talk a bit about how to use those passions in play? So we know about using them to augment in a scene. Uh, this to me is kind of the, um, you know, for Sparta type yeah. uh, element where uh, a character will be pushed by uh, his love for this uh, princess lady in the other town, uh, will be motivated by his loyalty to his king. And that gives him, you know, the extra 20 or, you know, up to 50% on the critical to succeed um, where he might have failed otherwise. But uh, what else can you use uh, those passions and uh, and traits for? I, in my, my, my player group, they come also from a hero quest background. Strangely enough, they prefer to play hero quest Glorantha than they do rune quest Glorantha. The, the joke amongst them is that when are we going to start playing real Glorantha again? <laughs> and, uh, it's not all of them. Some of them are new. But yeah, there's one guy who has this, when are we going to play real Glorantha again? And the, the, the joy of that is that um, if they come from uh, this narrative background, making stuff up with the runes is second nature because uh, the way hero quest worked so yeah. if, if somebody has got uh, a movement rune uh, they say you know can i use this to help me fly and you have to say well no actually you can't because you don't have the flight spell yeah. like, uh, yeah. but you could use it to augment your jump and they're like, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. So once they get into the idea of, of the meaning behind these things, um, and I, I actually, although a lot of my players have the rule books, I really encourage them to just try it on. And, and so in, in, in that case, 
does that uh, augment the jump as in you just get bonuses or you're actually jumping higher than you've ever jumped? Um, like it, it physically yeah. moves them farther. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, uh, if they have that in what they want to do. So um, I think one of, the, one of the things that I still have is um, a holdover from HeroQuest, which works really well, which is a credibility test, the GM credibility test and a table credibility test. Although it's not in the rules as such, it's just that when somebody says, oh, if I augment with my movement room, do you think I can jump 30 meters rather than 10 meters? And I, I go, yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. But if you fail, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're still going to fall <laughs> down the pit. Yeah. Um, and there's, a, there's also a point reached where um, if somebody says, you know, um, if, if I augment with my, um, my movement room, um, do you think I could fly for five minutes? And, of course, everybody at the table goes, oh, no, come on. <laughs> you know, so you have it where they break the credibility of the table because uh, they're trying it on, which is fine, as opposed to, breaking a, a a magical credibility so as long as as long as the description that they give uh, in their role playing is is credible I, I don't have a problem it's just um i always um i never let people say um uh i'm attacking this troll uh i'm going to augment my sword with my death rune and i go yeah okay so what how does that work And they say, well, I'm a lay member of Humact, and um, I bring all of my death into the sword and whack them. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's a, a good description. So um, in my games, description always trumps mechanics, always. Um, and that way, your players get used to the idea that they can try and augment anything with anything at any time, yeah. given the restrictions of they don't have as many augments as they'd like it's a per scene business that doesn't stop them that doesn't stop them doing the trivial use of um runes for example so they can use their runes like traits but it doesn't cause uh, a serious failure they're not they're not augmenting they're using it as a trait factor that's that's covered in the rules as well yeah yeah, yeah the the I want to maybe make a, a smaller side on the augment rules because uh, I'm a, I'm a bit sad that they are not like just like one single unified mechanic. Like there's actually three different mechanics almost in there, and uh, and many people, including me, originally read those a bit too fast in the rule book. When really it's like you know uh, skill augments, you can um, uh, you can use uh, as many skills as you want, but uh, it just augments uh, maybe uh, over a shorter time, and it's got like this one scale of minus uh, 30, minus 20, plus 20, plus 30, plus 50, or something like that. But then passions, it's different. If you fail, you get minus 10% to all your rolls. Uh, and runes, if you fail the augment using a rune, you don't get a penalty on the thing you wanted to try. You get a penalty on further uses of that rune for um, uh, magic and things like that. So, uh, <laughs> but so yeah, there's like, you, you gotta look at those augment um, rules a bit more closely than I did originally. One thing though, as like, if we go back to using those passions as abilities, like a ability roles. One thing that I find interesting, for example, is loyalty. 
which is uh, basically described as a, as a two-way street type deal, right? Where if you are uh, very loyal to your clan, say, then you can use that same loyalty to get them to support you. And that's, that's an important part of um, using credibility as well, is my players um, who are supported by the Thane of Apple Lane. Uh, so the Thane of Apple Lane plays their standard of living, which is, which is good. So basically they are fed uh, and watered and stuff. And so anything else they want, they use their loyalty, Thane of Apple Lane, because they took the loyalty deliberately to yeah. get him to buy stuff for them. And, um, <laughs> uh, and that, that works really well because that's real life. You know, if you show loyalty to somebody shows loyalty to you, you, you reciprocate and um, it, it, it works in a very positive way. Um, in also in my game, the Thane of Apple Lane has taken loyalty tenants Oh yeah, in which he has a loyalty to the five tenants of Apple Lane that supply him with income which allows him to augment his management, uh, um, manage household role because he goes out there for the whole year and does it. Uh, but it's also important. Ben Dragon had like a, a concern, I think, um, yeah, uh, trait yeah. to have concern for your, for your peasants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's effectively the same thing. And um, it, it works really well because the players have realized that you can play the system. And it's not actually playing the system. It's actually the way loyalty works. You know, if if um, uh, a Queen Lyca sends you out to do a mission and you do the mission and you come back and you say, you know, actually, do you think I could have X or, you know, what? We have the whole role-playing thing. And then if um, they are convincing enough, we don't roll. We just, I give them a skill tick because it's automatic. Or if it's a borderline thing where, you know, it's important whether they do or they don't succeed, then we roll. You know, if it's something where everyone goes, gosh, well, why are you trying that? You know, there's <laughs> yeah. got to be some risk involved. Um, so yeah, so you, you use the automatic success on passion rolls uh, fairly liberally. Yeah, because otherwise you end up with this strange system in that it is a role-playing game. And it's not a it's not a roll as in dice rolling game, and I've come across you know playing demos and stuff with people who are you know okay I roll the dice and it's like no 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 I I want to I want to hear <laughs> what you're going to say to people. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of um, and I think it's an age thing as well. Um, I, when I was younger, sort of playing early D and D in sort of the late seventies and stuff. We, we were teenagers who didn't know what we were doing with no social skills. And so we were, you know, kill the monster, run into the room. Nobody was like, ah, oh, so Mr. Kobold Fortress, what are your motivations here? And how can we, uh, how can we live in harmony with you? Um, mm -hmm. We were just like charge in, blow them up, kill them. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so social, social gaming is, um, is the role-playing side of it. And that's why I don't believe it needs mechanics and why the passion system, it works really well because the automatic success, uh, which is built into the system, the whole, uh, the whole BRP system um, works really well. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people don't use automatic success. I don't know why it's like, it's cheating. No, no, it's not cheating. It's um, <laughs> yeah. What I do sometimes is, somewhat of a hidden automatic success 
which I basically got from Call of Cthulhu. You know, you, you know how Call of Cthulhu has this uh, well-known problem, quote unquote, where uh, if you fail your spot hidden check, you don't find the clue, and then all of a sudden you don't know where to go in the adventure. And so um, the trick here is to say like you're gonna find the clue either way. The spot hidden is whether you find extra clues. Right. So if you, yeah. if you fail, you yeah. just get the one clue. And so I, I would often do something like that where uh, you want to do a fast talk to the guard or whatever. And if you fail, you still get to pass the guard, maybe, but they're going to have their eye on you. You're going to be followed or whatever. Whereas if you succeed, then you're more free. Um, so you will still succeed at a cost if you fail. Um, yeah, I guess it's success at, at the cost. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, this is that, that's an interesting thing from BRP because it comes from uh, RuneQuest has very combat orientated routes, and one of the uh, main problems with uh, combat in BRP is, of course, you either hit somebody or you don't hit somebody. There's there's no there's no um, there's no oh you grazed them slightly even though you failed. That's not part of the the description. Although in reality. It, it is what a miss is. A miss can be you hit the person, but it is inconsequential. Your blade runs off. And then what happens is that's applied to skills. And I recently on, on one of the Discord channels was talking about this. And um, it was in the um, quick start. And the fact is that everybody goes in in the quick start, the Rinko's quick start, with um, – they're herding. I think the highest herding skill is twenty-five oh, right. percent. Yes. yes, and there's a key. There's a key point where you have to use your herding. And one of the one of the things with this, if you if you look at the rules, is evaluating what a failure actually means. It's exactly what you're saying. Um, you find the clue, but you don't find the fifteen others pinned to the wall as such. And this goes for all skills. What what does it actually mean? And if we if we put it down to a, a child tying their shoelaces and they've got, you know, tie shoelace 25%, um, you know, they, you, you roll tie shoelace and you get 26% and, Oh, I've tied my shoelace. Yeah. Well done. And then you get a special and not all skills have specials. So we'll ignore that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they roll tie shoelace and they get a critical success. What does that mean? It means that they've done a really symmetrical <laughs> shoelace and stuff like that. It's amazing. But then, but then you, you, you then apply tie shoelace fail. And under most people's interpretation is you don't tie your shoelace. And the, and the child sits there and goes, I, I, I can't do it. But we know that that's not the reality of the situation. That a failed tied shoeless may mean that they take 10 times longer and an adult has to help them. But at the end of it, they don't leave the house without their shoelaces tied. You know, and not. on a fumble, they've made they've made it. Well, on a fumble, they've made a knot. That's that's the thing. <laughs> and and so in. In failing to to do some everyday things, it's like, you know, what happens if you fail your farming role? Well, the answer is that it's not that the plants don't grow. It's just that you, it's just like, oh, my God, I failed my farming role. My fields are empty. You know, you failed your farming role. And, and what, what that really means is that you you just haven't looked after them well enough. I mean, there are plants, yeah, but they're just yeah. not as good. And and yeah. we see this on some of the tables that, you know, you get half of something. You've, 
you yeah. get a tenth of something. You're, you're gonna you're, so, you're gonna lose at the biggest cabbage contest. Yeah, yeah, you're you're not gonna be in that cabbage contest. So when it came to herd, what does it mean when you fail a herding role? And if you've ever watched people who aren't farmers herding sheep, I saw one on a TV thing recently mm. where um this guy herds sheep for the first time using uh, quad bikes and he he's clearly got herd sheep 25% like everybody else and he herds them into a into a corner where there's a wall and they start jumping the wall <laughs> they they escape from the field and and that's that's a really good example of uh, failing a herd role in which The person knows that you can get them into a corner by, you know, this, that, and the other. But what they don't know is that if you squash them into a small enough space, they jump, and they jump over each other. Yeah. So in the in the in the um, in the scenario, if the players fail their herd, the cows just don't like. Oh, we give up now. The, the cows, you know, we haven't managed to herd the cows. You herd the cows, yeah, but it takes you twice as long five times as long um you know and and you lose a quarter of them and yeah yeah well if it was a a, a fumble you know you've you've chased one over a cliff or into a mire where it, it breaks its legs or mm -hmm. so getting people getting gms and players to evaluate um what a what a failure means is i think really important because um it's not all or nothing yeah You know, it's uh, we we get this in the whole opposed role problem of um, people saying, you know, well, what happens if I succeed at my spot hidden and they succeed at their, uh, you know, move quietly, you know, yeah. hide. We, we, we wrote an article about this on the Gold Runners yeah, yeah. uh, blog. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the and the answer is that well, nothing happens because you both succeeded just as good. Mm -hmm. It's as though nothing happened, but but I made a roll, yeah. But I I don't really like the nothing happens because uh, I still want the story to progress. So I I will still um, I mean I I'll point the people to the article. So I try sure, to find sure. solution where uh, it's not just that nothing happens, but uh, the 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 story progresses to another point where the two characters are still interlocked in the contest. But there are um, ideas for um, uh, something still happening, and I think that's I think that's fine as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's um, and that's the difference I think between a, a more experienced GM and a new GM is that you've come from a Call of Cthulhu background, uh, which means that you already know loads of loads of tricks, so to I speak. I frankly think uh, Call of Cthulhu or any investigative role playing game is the greatest teacher for um gming techniques uh it, it's mm, like yeah, there's, yeah there's a whole bunch of things that you have to figure out um with investigation scenarios because uh yeah it's so easy to paint yourself in the corner yeah to totally and it's this um encouraging gms to 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 go with the story i mean this is the mgf rule my personal feeling is that if you're getting into a uh, a situation where people are making roles um, and they've got a good chance of getting the same result, 
they need to be changing what they're doing in order to get a better result. So my my players are great uh, with asking for augments. They understand about the one passion or you know one rune per scene. So they always save those for something climactic. Um, but if they are doing the uh, the whole move quietly and they're not wearing four tons of armor as usual and all the other sort of stuff, they'll always say things like. Um, can I augment with my um so you can do stuff like you can um I'm just trying to think of an example that came up recently. You can augment perception skills together. Uh you can uh, yes. I'm just gonna get a character sheet out because I've no idea what they look like in my, in my <laughs> well, you know, I, I play on at the moment we're playing on roll twenty, so it's um But yeah, you uh you can like a, a typical thing, especially because in my group we Um, we often make group roles. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I also wrote uh, an article on the God Learners uh, website about this, you know, because of the problem of if you ask for four people to roll move quietly, one of them is going to fail. And if you ask four people to roll for scan, one of them is going to succeed. So it's kind of like I'm I'm grouping them by having one main roller yeah and everybody augments that role and so it's it's typical to say you know somebody's gonna roll for scan but somebody is augmenting with listen and you know yeah, it's gonna yeah. be the, the character who says like oh hey i heard something over there and then that's how yeah, they yeah. spot together um, so, so yeah so if you're not doing it to tip the scales i would unless you're really good at it um i most of my players realize that they don't do it um because getting um they they want to succeed they want to move the game along and by not succeeding doesn't move the game along so if you train your players well um it it's <laughs> it, it's pretty good and they all understand i mean my equivalent of group roles is it's always the worst person okay yeah yeah that works too. But for you know for, for move silently it's always it's always the worst person because um you know no matter how much little clanking the rest of them do the big clanking is still going to drown everybody out <laughs> yeah. and everyone's like oh yeah yeah, yeah that really makes sense yeah. so um and, and then that person gets the check and augments and then eventually it gets to the next person who had the lowest and, and yeah. that and that's how it works so yeah. it, it it is a it is a good structure the the other thing uh which is important if you're going to use um uh augments with Uh, traits and passions is is because you're limited to the like one per scene so a lot of people um i've come across save them up until the big battle now i've just had a six-week game in which there was no combat <laughs> so they they saved it for nothing so um and and so that's that's um because a lot of my games don't have combat in mm -hmm. i mean there's um i mean there was nearly a moment where they took on the allosaurus and then realized that fighting a dinosaur really, and then they ran away. <laughs> because because and that, that was the combat. Oh my God, this is size 50. Yeah. We're going to run. Uh, and of course it, it, it eats one person to show you how the monster works. And so not having, um, not having combat is um, quite interesting because um, like a lot of role-playing games, it's you have to pace yourself In, and think about when people are going to use a valuable resource. So we used to have a, a, a problem in lots and lots of games where people would um, save a resource until the very end and then use the entire resource all at one go. 
and overbalance a situation. So getting your players to actually evaluate when they use a passion or they use a rune or what have you without them thinking, hang on a minute, am I going to use this later? It's the same resource management with rune magic. They're like, oh, you know, I get it back once per once or twice per season. And, I, and I've tried to make them think, is it important for me to use this here? And that's where I use uh, things like um, devotion. Uh, the passion of devotion for gods is really good because, you know, their devotion God is how devoted they are to being that way. And uh, it answers questions. So, you know, would Orlanth want me to use my last rune point for <laughs> da, 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 da? Well, if there are 80% devotion, the answer is always use your last rune point. It's, <laughs> it's cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people are, people are using that kind of passion for resource management because they're un, they're unsure when it's going to happen. And a lot of people with their runes, they really think carefully about what they're going to try and augment um, because there's this whole thing about, you know, if if they're if it's a whole scene and they're up to their knees in water, and they augment their swimming, then uh, with their with their movement rune, for example, or whatever. I'm I'm not so limited by what you can augment. By the way, if it fits the story. You can do it. Yeah, yeah. And so if you also don't don't complain if I've made a mistake here. Um, <laughs> and so if if the whole thing is knee deep in water and the danger is of drowning. Some of the players might not augment their swimming, but augment their con. Okay, yeah. uh, And augment the resistance role uh, of of making their con roll because they know that they're likely to fail their swimming more often and take a mouthful (laughs) of water. Wow, your your players are thinking very hard. Yeah, yeah, and and um, if you if you make a, a seam long augment uh, for um, a resistance roll or a con times five roll, it lasts the whole scene, and um, it applies all the way. Whereas suddenly you're out of the water or swept downstream or or what have you, and they they figure this out very quickly, um, and it does lead to like really innovative ways of working. So people will often use um, their moon rune to augment their spirit magic roles mm-hmm. yeah. for a scene, which is which is like, oh, I never thought you could do that. Oh, yeah, I've, um, had, I've had some players, some newbies actually do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, these are the people that come up with the new uses, and you're just like, yeah, that's really cool. I really like that. So um, getting them to think on their feet and uh, how people are going to use these things I think is, is much, much more important than um, – you know, it's maximum game fun versus the letter of the rules always. And then later on, if you change your mind about something, and you just say, well, you know, it worked in that situation, but it's not going to work in this situation. They're like, okay, let's try this. So going with the flow, I think, is much, much more important. So let's talk about high scores in passion because when you have 80% or more then the game master like if if i was to use some some fate terminology the master can use the, the game master can use some compels 
to to to, yeah. to compel the the player into either doing something or at least um, asking the player to roll that passion that has 80% or more and saying that uh, unless you manage to fail that 80% roll, you would either have to follow that trait or lose point in it, um, which is yeah. important. Like that last bit is important because the player should always be free to act the way they want. So the most important thing is that um, if you've got uh, high passions or runes, uh, the players need to understand that they should be acting that way regardless. And if they're uncomfortable with their character acting that way, then they I let them reduce it to, to below almost immediately because um, it's pointless having um, players playing characters that don't want to do stuff. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's appropriate in um, most of the games you run, which are convention one shots with the pre-gens. Uh, yeah, because yeah, that's, if, that's if, if it's a, yeah. if it's a, a character that the player created themselves, then you know you created somebody yeah. who's got you know ninety percent death, then you should act like that. So I've got in my game currently, I've got uh, a Lankor Mai um, with a Truth Rune of a hundred percent. Uh, and that has that has been built up, by the way. Um, they've succeeded. They got they've rolled six on their you know experience rolls and stuff like that. And it started at eighty, to be honest. And um, they are playing quite an obsessive character. Uh-huh. And um, the point is that I don't have to make them roll because they're already doing it. They're they're already in the zone where they're like right. Okay, so um, we've got the, the, the magic item and um, you're saying I have to give it to so-and-so and I'm saying, no, it's mine. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. going, it's going to the temple. It and so the we, museum. <laughs> uh, well, or it belongs with the researchers at the temple. Uh, especially if they built up that rune mm. in play because then it means that the rune went up because they played it that way. Yeah, yeah, and that's very important. And I think the um, the thing here is that um, because oh, and they they're always truthful; they never lie. And so when all the other players are saying, "Don't tell them about the," you know, they're like, <laughs> oh, he's just going to tell them. Yes. And um, uh, at this point, I uh, earlier on when they were like at eighty percent, I would say, you know, are you going to tell them about this? And uh, the player would think and go, yeah, I'll just tell them because it was more fun. Okay, yeah. um, there was a couple of bits where <laughs> where the player decided to conceal things and then I made them roll. Uh-huh, yeah. And then they just realized it was much more fun to tell the truth about everything all the time, <laughs> even even in the most socially awkward places. you know. Um, and, and otherwise you would have um, made them roll a, um, a decrease in the room. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But um, with this kind of player, it's it's moving them, it's moving them on very, very quickly within the game, uh, and so they enjoy playing this kind of obsessive, always tells the truth, um, never lies, um, obsessed about. Um, they're obsessed with dragons, actually, which is even worse <laughs> uh, because they because they've derailed the, the game up. completely a number of times. Um, which which is which is interesting from my point of view is what happens when your tra- the traits of characters are so strong they derail the game um, and so what we what we do is we have um, and this is where the contest roles come where the leader of the group goes you know I'm the Thane of Apple Lane 
and uh, you're working for me. And they go, yeah, I'm working for you. And um, the Thane of Apple Lane says, you know, you're never going to lie, but uh, we do need to do this. And then the player switches traits and says, okay, I'm going to, this is on my loyalty. Or there'll be uh, a conversation between the two characters, which is clearly their truth obsessive rune versus the, the Thane's orate role. Okay, and so you you make you you make them roll uh, either orate versus truth or loyalty versus truth. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the 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 thane of Apple Lane, I think, has um, an orate of seventy percent. Not bad. And um, but but he knows he's going to lose. Yeah. Because he's always going to lose against um, a, a truth rune of a hundred percent. Because you know it's it's only going to be ninety six to hundred, which is a failure. And there's a 20% gap. So he always augments it, always augments it with um, with something else. Uh, and we've got another another player who, when um, confronted by this truth rune, um, his major social skill, um, he's actually one of the um, characters from the starter set that's coming out soon. Oh, nice. There's, there's a there's a, one uh, one of the characters, uh, Mago. He has his only social skill that's that's got a, got anything in it is interrogate. <laughs> <laughs> so so he's and he's got it quite high, and he always augments his interrogate with his size. I think. Oh. Um, oh, I yeah, never, yeah. I never thought about in about augmenting mm. with stats. Would, yeah. do, do you do that times three or times five in that case? Um, it's normally um, dependent on the difference between their sizes. Oh, okay. But he's huge. He's like 18. Yeah. And this other guy's 12. Mm, and um, we, we, we just roll, um, you know, I, I can't remember what it was. It was all spur of the moment. But he threatens him and yeah. says, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> and he's won a couple of times. Nice. Um, which is, which is, you know, which is quite a cool thing. And even if they draw, mm -hmm. it's just like, I, I don't really like that guy. He's actually quite threatening. So there's this, <laughs> so, the, so, so this is where the traits really come out. Just because you draw, it means that I'm telling the truth and we're doing this. And then this other guy is, I'm huge and intimidating. We're going to do this. And so there is this, there's a worry with the my player that, um, when the situation changes and they can do a re-roll, that the other guy might win. Um, so, so their traits kind of move into a standoff area. Um, we've got uh, another guy who is playing an Analda merchant, and his Earth rune is eighty, and um, he's really good at being gregarious and things, and he uses it a lot to augment his bargain, yeah. be the earthy bargainer. So he goes to the market um, on Market's Day, and for the whole scene, which is a whole market day, he uses it on his bargain, which ups his profit. Um, we've got a couple. We've got one guy with a death rune at 90, and his problem is um, he always ends up saying that the way forward is death, and everybody just runs away. It's just like that. But, it's, 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 but a lot of people are very sensible about when they bring their runes into play. You know, so so at the market, the guy with the death rune, everybody just avoids uh, because they're just like, oh my god, he's he's just sort of like a brooding Hulk, and we even though he's not going to, you know, we don't want him to get into a fight. Um, but sometimes these traits they just don't manifest themselves in the situation 
uh, so you don't have to use them all the time. A GM that forces the, you know, you're in the middle of the market and I'm going to say that you're the brooding death lord and you feel like murdering everybody. And, and it's just like, that's no fun. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. um, and you can see the trader going, you know, move away from the market, go to your temple. It's, um, yeah. But, but if that character was to, you know, want to uh, participate in uh, the, the Harvest Queen ceremony with flowers on his head and, and whatnot, uh, would that... Would that trigger a oh no you're supposed to be brooding you're you've got the 90 percent no so so think i think people have um have misunderstood some sometimes the way these work so the humacti takes part in the harvest queen celebrations just as the babista gore initiate takes part but their part is that they're guarding the ceremony you know it's there they're not in the middle running towards the harvest queen going here are the flowers they're the so I, um, I mean if you wanted to participate as like to 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 try and be elected as the harvest queen um i i i would suggest that we all know that's not going to happen unless there's unless there's a unless there's a terrible mistake i mean this is this is you know you can just you can just imagine some small village somewhere in the world that decides to elect the the known broody killer as the Harvest Queen, and Seems you know, like at that a, point, a version of Carrie. Yeah, yeah, you realise it's, it's all gone horribly wrong. But but what you do have is you do have them taking part in these ceremonies. They they're, you know, um, the Humacti um, Rune Lord or whatever level is a lay member of Analda and is accepted as a lay member of Analda because they are trusted to be on the outside um, guarding the ceremony with the Babista Gori. Um, in the knowledge that if it is um, something bad is going to happen, that you've got your best people available. Um, no, no one in their right mind would say, hey, do you think of becoming the Harvest Queen this year? You know, it's um, they would be like, um, it'll be an honor to stand on the outside and stop the drunkards from kissing the girls. I will. I have spoken kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it, it, always think about the situation because um, – Otherwise, you end up playing people who are basically psychotic or sociopathic <laughs> or, you know, these these traits are not meant to uh, mimic mental illness. We've got to be very clear about this. They're designed to mimic the way people really work. And they're, they're not meant to be used as stereotypes either. They're just meant to be used as... Uh... I think the, what, the time that they're going to be used as stereotypes is when you're hero questing because, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> because that is when you are playing your God effectively and you are playing a stereotype. And therefore, if you are on um, a hero quest and your earth rune is 90% and you're not being the earth, then you're not on a hero quest. You know, if it's not an earth-based hero quest, you're off the hook. Um, but it, it's if it is an earth-based hero quest, um, then you should be the earth as such. Yeah, but you can't rule it all the time. No, no. And there's different parts of the earth as well. So, you know, this will come out when more of the hero quest rules for RuneQuest emerge. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, the passions come into uh, hero questing quite a lot, in my opinion, and in my experience. They they do, because um, I think one of the uh, interesting facts that's come to me recently that I hadn't realized is that a lot of older RuneQuest players 
never played Hero Quest. And the the thing, so so for example, we've still got a lot of uh, RuneQuest grognards, not all of them by any means, who've got this idea that Hero Quest is still coming out next year. Uh, Hero Quest never was published, and we know nothing about Hero Quest other than fan based stuff. What they don't realize is that uh, when Hero Quest, the role playing game, came out 2008, 2009, we had Hero Quest rules and we had entire Hero Quests being run. Um, if you look at the Sata uh, campaign in um, Sata Kingdom of Heroes, the entire adventure at the back, the, the highlight of the adventure, is a massive hero quest to the underworld, to the lunar underworld, with you know the hero quest rules are detailed, the stations of the hero quest, a lot of the stuff that Greg used to talk about at conventions. It's all in there. And um, if you if you were a RuneQuest player that didn't play Hero Quest, you've missed these completely. And they were reiterated in um, 2015 when HeroQuest Glorantha came out. Um, so I would encourage RuneQuest players uh, to look back at some of the published HeroQuests when they become available again um, and, and see how HeroQuesting works. I mean, there's going to be some, some uh, mechanics for RuneQuest, which is pretty obvious. But uh, hero quests are not going to change from being uh, a narrated thing. This is what I think. This is what people want. They want um, hero quests which are mechanistic, and this is where the whole thing fell down in the first place. In that hero quests aren't mechanistic; they make no sense in some places. Um, and they're in in RuneQuest. Um, if you've played Hero Quest, you can hero you can bring hero quests a bit more into the game because that's what you've learned from the other game. So for example, if you've got two people, let's say fighting um, from different backgrounds in one-on-one, -on -one, they will start to draw each other more and more into their own mythic worlds. Mm -hmm. So if you've got, a, I, I've, I've had it in games where um, a storm ball is fight is, is in the boss fight effectively and they're fighting the, the big fed brew or the big mallet or whatever. And as the fight goes on more and more, um, the outsiders see this turning into a fight between Storm Bull and Fed. And um, it's in the advantage of the Storm Bull to pull the Fed worshipper into Storm Bull's world by acting more like Storm Bull. And it's in the advantage of the Fed NPC to bring them into their world because their magic is stronger. And so what the outsiders might see is as they start in RuneQuest is as they start casting more magic, because this is where it really kicks off. And if they have a hero soul, they will start to actually grow in size and um, end up being Stormball and Fed fighting uh, in a huge Ray Harryhausen style battle. In which, um, in which, in the middle of a battlefield, you know, people start running uh, away because they start to realise that um, these are starting to hero form um, who, who, who is in it. And, and what's interesting for me is when you start doing this in RuneQuest, um, some players just go, "Wow, this is really cool!" You know, 
because casting rune magic is a moment where you become more like your god. But the more you do it, the more this happens. So in the description of the magic being cast, you just say they turn more and more into their gods, which A, terrifies a lot of the people, um, uh, or B, other people involved in the um, in the event start to run towards it. So, you know, if you've got Stormball manifesting behind uh, one of the heroes, the rest of the Stormballs are going to run towards him in order to support him because who, who doesn't want to fight alongside Stormball? So coming up in, in my game, I ended on a cliffhanger as the Battle of Queens is just about to happen. But one of the uh, bits that I missed about it is that um, in the Battle of Queens, there is a spot just by Old Top where the Crimson Bat's blood fell. And if I was the Lunars, God, I'd be using that, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 so one of the things that will happen in the game is that, um, and this is deliberate, uh, is that uh, a group of Lunar ma Magicians will break through and head for the Chaos uh, ground that's there, just so that I can have some chaos god appear <laughs> uh, uh, but this is this is deliberate because um part of my and, and you might be thinking good god this game is getting out of hand uh, and it is getting Sounds out of hand to me. <laughs> because my my game in um the hyordin clan where they're set for apple lane has the Stormbull temple now in in when you get the sata pack you'll find that there isn't a Stormbull temple there of course but my players, two of them are Stormballs. And um, one of them said, you know, okay, my dad is the storm, the bull priest of Swan. So we've moved the Stormball center of the Colimar tribe to Swan. Why not? And what we need at the Battle of Old Top is something for the small regiment of Stormballs to fight. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when we actually run the battle, Pendragon style, I'm going to you know, we're going to have, we're going to have Stormbull on the battlefield. I've got the figures ready. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Well, that's why you buy, if you haven't got a copy of God's War, that's, that's what it's for. I have um, backed the yeah, same Kickstarter, um, yeah. which is still being built. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no. Stormbull's I, I just coming. Stormbull is coming, yeah. yeah. So, so stuff like that, where um, people are using these traits to, to manifest their gods, uh, out in the everyday world, I think are really, really important. Um, people should be, you know, using their devotion to augment their rune magic. You know, so so when you critical your rune magic, you know, if you've cast it having, you know, critical your devotion, you're starting to become your god. You're starting to have a presence on the hero play. And we haven't got the rules for it, obviously, yet. They're not published. But pushing the game into from the mundane into the mythology is really really important and and if i've learned anything from greg over the years i knew him um is this is the real secret to to glorantha it's not this um it's not a mundane bronze age setting these traits and passions uh, are the key to to making it much much more magical and when your players are like Cool, you you put out you macked on the board. I mean, to be honest, that's why I bought the God's War figures <laughs> because not not that I haven't got any room for them because um, I haven't. Uh, but you know, you you, we, you wheel out, put put the figure out, and they're just like whoa, you know. And I I play in fifteen millimeter if I do use figures. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, so so they look things look yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the more magic you cast, um, and so um early on in the game when players don't have many rune points, um you don't get this necessarily epic scale of people blowing all their rune points in one go. But I've got a few players who've got five rune points now. And so when they start to do things, um, they there's a much, much more manifestation of um, of them becoming powerful. And I always describe it as well. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's where I think that identification comes into the game uh, a lot. And that's where the passions really help. Yeah, to totally, totally. The, the passions are the runes, though. Uh, the runes, uh, uh, obviously, uh, as you have the runes to be in the cult, but no, the passions where uh, you br uh, you bring out something uh, which is in line with the, uh, both your character and the deity. Okay. And you use that uh, to step further into the myth. So like, for example, a loyalty tribe to emulate the loyalty of Orland for the Storm tribe, something like that? Yeah, love family, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. It can easily uh, put you into a mythic realm. Okay, yeah, cool. Going back to uh, the mundane world, one maybe last thing, uh, because we're way over time, but this is all <laughs> good stuff. Um, acquiring new passions in-game yeah. and changing scores. One thing, for example, that I have potentially a bit of trouble grasping is, for example... I think it's, is it the Smoking Ring or the Pegasus Plateau? I forgot, but there's one of those published adventures where, you know, you've got the classic thing where I think it is a merchant, Isari's merchant, who is sending you on a mission. You do the mission, you come back, and the, the adventure suggests that, you know, if you want, you can start a new passion with that character, uh, like some loyalty or other. And to me... If you were to gain a new loyalty passion for that NPC, say at 60%, it's, it seems to me like on the same level as if suddenly you vowed a loyalty to that NPC because it, it's on the same level as a loyalty you gained from your family history, not just from you know, a week of adventuring. If you were to, to pledge allegiance to Argrath, sure, yeah, you gain mm -hmm. a new loyalty passion at 60%, but how do you handle more subtle or more gradual building of of uh, trust between you and some NPC? So if you're going to take... Uh, so players can take a new passion at any point in the game. And if you don't take it at 60%, it's pointless having it. So so at... Um, at If you if you if you play with the numbers, if you've got a passion at, say, 40% and you roll it, you're going to keep failing and eventually lose the passion where if it's at 60, you're more likely to keep it. Well, if you if you fail, it doesn't change anything. It's only if you fumble that you would yeah, stop yeah, using it. Yeah, that's right. But there's more chance of fumbling, if you see what I mean. There's a... Yeah, it has, a few percent, yeah. Yeah. It has no game effect if it doesn't succeed most of the time. Um, you know, it, so always um, players have the option to take a passion. They don't have to do it. Um, and if there's no reason for them to have done it, then they don't get it. That, that's the sim that's the simple answer. I'm actually looking at it. I did actually answer that question on the Q&A for the Smoking Ruins. 
Oh, cool, yeah. Uh, because somebody is, it says, um, if you get a passion award that raises your loyalty by 30%, if you didn't have that specific passion earlier, what will your loyalty be now? And the answer is very simple. If you already had it from other events, it would already be at 60, so you can add it directly. Otherwise, you just take it between 60 and 90. Um, so if if you haven't had any characters who have had... So I'll give you an example. I've got... In in my group, um, I've got, I think, 13 players in total that what? play in my campaign. <laughs> yeah, they don't all play at the same they don't no, all play so, at the yeah. same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They drop they drop in and out, and I've got about 13 players. That's still a lot. Of of all of those, um we've got all but one with loyalty uh Colimar or Queen Lyca. And the one who hasn't taken the loyalty is not is not disloyal they just have no interest they've met the queen several times but they're just she's just not very interesting <laughs> it, it's actually it's actually the guy with the truth rune at 100 percent oh wow yeah but 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 interestingly what he did was when all the others were taking loyalty queen or loyalty colimar or whatever he took loyalty haster Oh yeah, the, and the Hasta, lost speaker of the Colimar tribe. Yeah, that's right because um, they're friends. Yeah, and um, he <laughs> wants stuff off Haster. <laughs> so how? Because did, did did his character know that NPC beforehand? No, that's the whole point. So, um, so how how do you like? What does it mean to suddenly have a sixty percent loyalty to a character? So, so nothing that cannot happen without a role-playing conversation. Yes. So, so, so the first thing is you can't just say, "Hey," because um, now I'm in Clearwine. I, I'm going to take a loyalty to the head of the land called my temple because I need to use the facilities. And the answer is that the world doesn't doesn't work like that. It's like I'm a visiting library librarian from Bulgaria, and uh, I'm here at the British Museum Library, and um, I, I want in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And they don't just give they don't just give you a ticket necessarily. You have to go through a procedure where you're recommended. And of course, um, Langhorn Mai, um, as part of the character generation, you get a letter of introduction. So you role play, you know, hi, I'm da 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 da. And um, we we had a whole we had you know a two minute role playing thing where they meet Pastor and he says, you know, I've heard about you. He makes the reputation role and knows the character by reputation because I use reputation a lot as well. Okay, yeah. And so he says, "Oh, I've heard of your deeds and so and so." And and then the other character says, "You know, um, the, the, there's probably a ritual saying about you know I, I'm here. I put myself under your care as the chief librarian because that's the swearing loyalty thing. You put yourself under the care of the chief librarian." Yeah, okay, so yeah, he did, um, he did some yeah. kind of swearing of of yeah, um, yeah, 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 and made it quite obvious. And um, he did have a choice of changing his loyalty temple. But I said he couldn't do that because he's not been a member of this temple for long enough. Okay. His loyalty is still with his Johnstown temple. And uh, no, it's, it's in Israelia, actually, the Great Library. So once they've had a bit more interaction, if he needs the temple resources and not the individual, he can then switch loyalty. But he took uh, loyalty 60% Haster. And then, of course, he they, they meet regularly because the players are always in clear wine. You know, reporting and doing this, that, and the other, and of course, if he wants something from Hasta, he has to make a loyalty roll, and um, a couple of times he hasn't got it. <laughs> yeah, and and if you you wanted to 
decrease the loyalty to his temple in Israel because he hasn't been there in you know, two, two years. Uh, I would you uh, and and transfer that to loyalty to the temple in clear wine and you just do this with a discussion uh offline yeah, with yeah. the player um, and i don't um tend to decrease uh unused uh passions uh unless it's obvious why um an individual's loyalty to a temple far away doesn't necessarily decline because they're not there using the uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, you know, perhaps you should increase their passion. But um, so, so they, what's quite, quite good is that if you keep that loyalty temple, so we had a situation where he was at the temple trying to, I think he was trying to get access to some books they actually didn't have and he was refused. So the, so the librarian refused him access to the books rather than admit that he didn't have the, the information. Yeah. And um, I then made him roll his 80% loyalty to his other temple. And um, and he went off and did this whole thing about, you know, at my old temple, things weren't really like this. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, in, in Israelia, we have we do things properly. Yeah. Do you not understand? You know, and, and it's because you of can, your uh, <laughs> of your classification system here, which is completely yeah, yeah. Uh, backwards. So, <laughs> so loyalty to organizations which aren't present can also spur the role playing uh, as well. So I'm not going to I'm not going to let him switch loyalty until he's actually done something for the temple. Um, and doing something for the temple will be um, <clears throat> the most common thing is that people want rune magic. And rune magic is either pay per point um gm fiat where the gm says oh you've been such a good person you can do this or you have uh, demonstrated your loyalty by doing something and um going on a mission for the temple so i often get my players um with their respective leaders and give them other goals so uh the Lankor my person is being told by Hasta that oh yeah you know when you go to uh tink to meet uh, Farang Farosh um you know if there's any uh, uh, please when you come back I'd like to hear a report of your conversation with Farang Farosh and um he's duty bound to do that so he uses up some of his paper and he makes a written report that goes into the archives and that that doesn't uh, make the loyalty change um it's just uh, uh they can then say when they want to change loyalty they can say well i saw farang farosh i made a report i put it into the temple um i told Hastur about x y and z um i've um paid for some rune spells from the temple so so all of that adds up to the loyalty uh, i'm not going to track it mechanically because that would be rubbish sounds a bit like reputation really how you describe it yeah 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 but um i'm not going to manage numbers i mean i want to keep this as a role-playing game not a you know some some people might want a system where you know for every rune point it's um 10 bonus on changing your look blah blah you know, i'm not going to bother doing <laughs> no. that and when and when the player's ready i'm not necessarily going to make them roll i'm just going to say that um hasta says you know you've been really good and um here at the temple i really respect your um the work that you've done and you know you've really made a contribution to the temple and then if the player says oh can i change my loyalty now i'll just get them to change loyalty israelia temple to loyalty clearwine temple and 
that's it. And their memories of their home temple are just a hazy past, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that they that they forget about. Yeah. So always the role playing drives the passions, not not the. I'd rather do it not the other way around. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, Ludo, you're getting rather late. Are we going to wrap it up? Yes. God, yeah. What time is it there? It's 2 a.m. here. Oh. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's all great. Yeah, sorry, I can talk and talk and talk. I, well, thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you a lot for accepting, especially on the short notice. It was great. And I'm sure we are hoping that you'll show up again in a future episode. Yeah, sure. Uh, maybe on shamanism or uh, something like that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com, where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond.